Hey guys, uh, welcome to Talk More to Me. If this is your first time, my name is John. I'm sitting here with Jen and Nicole. Tonight we got a very gruesome case, but another case that I don't think anyone has heard of. I've been kind of going down this road of doing less known cases, but I don't know, like very gruesome cases. Also, I think Google recommends me a lot of cases. So thank as you, As long Google. as there are no horse penises in this one, I'm okay. That horse penis thing, I'll never live down. And yet, it's your most popular thing so far on Johnny Llama. Yeah. I do want to give away a big old llama for Johnny Llama. Can I get a llama? No. But anyway, so let's start with tonight. We're actually going to Virginia. Who's been to Virginia? So we are still doing the raffles. We're up to $50 a week. All you got to do is comment on the blog. Surprise shots. Surprise shots. We don't know what they are because they're a surprise. I'm going to tell you this case right here is mother effing brutal. And I am not going to freaking back down. Well, it's I'm a good going thing I'm already fucking wasted then. All right, tonight we're going to October 5th, 1979, 3109 5th Avenue in Virginia. Oh, wow. I was going to say New York, but I guess more than one state has numbers for avenues. So we're actually going to go to Google Earth. And if you're on live chat, you guys can see this. Or about to. Let me pull it up for you guys. Oh, I love Google Earth. It's like a roller coaster every time. That's what? America and Canada. What do you mean it's a roller coaster every like you, time? You get to like circle the earth and see what it looks like. <sighs> Tonight we're going to October 5th, 1979. This is three zero. This is three one zero nine Fifth Avenue. If you're on live chat, this is the place right here. How much you think this little house is worth? This right is now or in 1979? Right now, how much you think it's worth? What? $215,000. What state? Virginia. Virginia. I'm going to say 179. Look, someone's just putting their trash right there. Gross. People are gross. They need to stop littering and polluting our earth. I you, know. You think this house is worth 179000 I mean, look, it's kind of in a... It's a duplex. Yes, but it's But it's not in a very good neighborhood. It's you 2022. Tell. It doesn't matter. Everything is expensive and everywhere. In Virginia, well, it depends on where in Virginia. Like where is this like Western Alexandria? Is this like in the foothills? Is it close to West Virginia? What close to the the hills have eyes? Is that what you're gonna say? West Virginia. Is it close to my cousin? Where where my cousin driven through Blackville and it was rough. Blacksburg, Virginia. Yeah, I was walking. I was walking funny for days. Remember when we were driving through America in the RV? It was fun. We drove through Blacksburg, Virginia, and it was scary. Yeah, them rednecks up there. I can't say anything. I'm right here in Gilbert, South Carolina. God. I want to do a live show again. COVID needs to fucking end. I know. When it does, we will. But until then, we won't. But until then, hold your cousins tightly. But we have had multiple requests for a live show. I know. I know. All right, guys. So tonight we are going to 3109 Fifth Avenue. This house right here. It's a townhome. Huh? Correct. A townhome. Yeah, or a town duplex. Home. Yeah. We are talking about a Charles W. Gardner, 59 years old. Like I said, this is October 5th, 1979. We don't actually have a picture. There is one photo, but it's super just grainy. I mean, at 59 years old, 1979, there's not a lot of photos of you, okay? 3109 Fifth Avenue, there was a knock at the door. This is evening going on sundown. 59-year-old Charles W. Garner. He is there with his wife. Hello. You said there was a knock on the door, right? A Charles W. Garner 59 opens up. And well, actually just opens up a little bit. He he's got the the lock with the chain on it. He opens up a little bit. There's two men and we don't actually know what was said or what happened. I will tell you from a surviving witness that these two men had said that their car had broken down, which we'll get to that case, but no one knows what was said. But anyway, we do know that these two men 
busted into the residence. And like I said, this is a 60-year-old man, 59 years old, Charles W. Gorner. Now, this is going to be extremely graphic, extremely brutal, but I'm sure you guys get excited by that. Ooh. The man pushes, and the man's been described as a linebacker type, very very muscular, athletic, built, and they're all like this. Would also be open to athletic linebacker type as far uh, also as AKA European. A.K.A. Gronkowski last name. Charles Gardner is sitting there behind the door. All of a sudden, the door swings open with as much force as this intruder can put behind his body. The 59-year-old falls to the floor. And like I said, this is in the evening time. One of the intruders stays by the door. He locks it back. But before he does that, he does a signal into the car outside that's awaiting. And two other men get out of the car and come through the house. Four men. Four men are going to do what you see here tonight. Oh, no. I don't like the sound of this. And I do have some of the evidence photos, but got to keep in mind this is in 1979, so pretty grainy. The thing that struck me as soon as I walked in the door recalled Stuart Cook, former head of Homicide. I was seeing up the stairwell. The whole wall and steps were just covered in blood all the way up. Oh, no. I don't like that. All the way up. This is the photo here. And this will preface exactly what I'm about to read. And this is not pretty. Oh. This is the blood right here. I'll put this photo on talkmore.com. That red, or excuse me, that black is the blood. I don't like that. That's a lot of blood. It's a lot of blood. So try to... What happened to this guy to... I mean, your whole body's drained of blood. Like, what? what is this here? What are we looking at? If you want to describe this photo, Nicole... I mean, it just, it looks like a lot of dried blood. Is that a staircase? Well, it was, that's a good, that's a good uh, point you brought up. Because you can see the like, oh, the little veins. veins. Yeah, almost. yeah. That's a really good point. Thank so it you. was, it was a full Thank two you, days. It was a full two days before this body was found. But it looks like, like where those little cracks are, or as veins as Nicole called it, like a little bit closer, there aren't any. So it's probably a thicker more viscous amount of blood than the edges, which is probably expected. Okay, so what you're seeing now, the blood here is where the body was found. Obviously, the body is removed. This is the actual police photo. Pretty gruesome. Pretty crazy. A lot of blood there. As Nicole said, it is dried because this was a full two days before they took this photo, and they had to, as I'll describe in a little bit, from what the detective said, his words, quote, peel the body off the floor. They had to peel it up. Now, what uh, what weapon do you think was used here to have the blood going all the way up the walls? He said all the way up. A hammer. So it's got to be something that sprays the blood, you know? A hammer. Very good, Nicole. It was a baseball bat, yeah. Nicole didn't guess. <laughs> But right. it, you know what? But thanks. But at least he gave you credit because that's not something that he would do for no, me. No, it's not. Isn't that sad? It's not he would do for anybody. <sighs> well, he does it for you because you're his wife and he loves you. Oh, that's questionable. It is questionable sometimes. So with these murders we're talking about tonight, there are four men involved in every one of these murders. The reason that we know the details is simply because one of the men rolled over and shared all the details. That's how we know things that were said. That's how we know who did what. So using that information from, from the following cases, we're going to talk about it. This is from the confessions of one of the weaker members that snitched one of the snitchers. Snitchers. Mm. I don't snitches like that term. Get stitches. You know what? And and in today's society, like it's the worst thing to be considered a snitch. No one wants to talk about anything. Like if there's a problem going on, People have told me, you know, in my line of People work. People have told you about snitches. What are you talking about? In I my, think there's, in my, we work a, at a fucking prison. No, it's a per, it's a perception, like that they are doing wrong. Snitches have tattle. always been a bad thing. You're not listening. 
You're not listening. You cut me off. In my line of work, people who have had to report something have always been hesitant to report who or what specifically because they don't want to be perceived as a snitch. Well, snitches get fucking stitches. Exactly. That's exactly but that's the, the perception that is the problem. Because, and I always have to tell them, like, hey, like, if you want me to solve this problem. You don't snitch on someone. End of story. You're, you're missing the point. But if you again. want the problem to be solved, even if it doesn't happen to you, it could happen to someone else. And if you if the problem has to be solved, someone has to come up and say one what's of, going on. One of the rules that I say, like, I think every employee and employer needs Wait, to I have can tell personal you. rules that I they can live tell you. by. Let your wife talk. I, I can't fix something I don't know about. Let your wife talk. It, that is it. Okay, let, let me get it. on. I can't fix what I don't know about. Yeah. All right, the killers. That is 100% in my line of work. Me too. Boom, I'm a badass at my job. But also, like, it's the not killers. just my line of work, but the people that are, like, kind of above me. And okay. It's kind of like, that's where my goal is, you know? Can't fix what I don't know about. The killers, which was the oldest of the bunch, actually is the one with the bat. So the older of the men, the four men involved in this, has the bat. He takes this baseball bat, which was like this Louisville slugger, old wooden bat chipped up, and he swings it back like he's Babe Ruth. and Or David Ortiz, who was just elected into the Baseball Hall of Fame. All right. So he swings back like he's Babe Ruth and full force... Swings it, hit it, and he hits the bat right on the guy's skull. And police determined it was about at least 20 full swings mm. like that. The kill now, this does not kill this, does not kill Charles Garner yet, but it will eventually. Well, other things that they're gonna do to him will kill him. This guy, the killer, was six foot 200 pounds. The one that was using the, the bat, he used full force. Now, when the when Detective Cook was talking about the blood that is, quote, all the way up, end quote, this is because it was the bat that was used. However, the photo you're seeing now on the floor, that is where the body was found. That is where the butt or that is where the blood drained out specifically. Mm. That specifically is not from a bat. That's from another weapon. Mm. What kind of weapon? But the spray quote all the way up end quote is from the bat because if he hits someone in the head with a bat and when their skull breaks open or whatever that blood is using you know inertia is going to splatter the walls all right now i'll get to this but the body has been there of the 59 year old charles garner for two days they attempt to lift the man off the floor they don't want to mess the crime scene up, but they couldn't lift it up. It was stuck to the floor. Why would a body be stuck to the floor? Dried blood. blood? You think blood is going to stick the body to a floor? It depending on how much blood is there, but no, yeah. it would no. It's not super glue mixed with blood. Blood would not do that. If their like own muscles were like melted, what about like melted? <laughs> I, like, what would stick to the floor? I don't know. In, You're asking me to get creative here. In Charles, and we're like three bottles of champagne deep. Well, yes, we are drunk. But like, in what Char- if someone was? What if someone nailed someone to the ground, like with a nail gun? In Charles Garner's back, there were five knives and a pair of scissors. And a, in his knife, in his back, in his back, and also there was a carving fork. And it was either the carving fork or the scissors, I believe it was the carving fork, that was stuck through the body and into the planks of the wood in the floor. Oh, yeah. Well, that'll do it. All of the knives were protruding outside of the body, but I believe it was that carving fork that was stuck completely through there, protruding out the front of him because he was belly down and then stuck into the wood of the floor. So that's why they, the detectives, had trouble getting him up. They were trying to, they had to peel his body off because they don't want to move the evidence. If, if all possible, 
you want to keep the knives in exactly where they are. Well, yeah, wouldn't you want to take a photo before you start moving anything? The guy's already dead. You're not going to bring him back to life, so you might as well move him with the knives in his body, but they can't even get his body out the floor because the knives are are sticking in the wood. They have to take the knives out to lift him off. That's why he's stuck on the wood. Mm. They also found some burnt pages that, for some reason, and this will tell a lot about the MO, these four men had crumpled up pages, the yellow pages, and they tried to light them on, on his back. His back was charred because they were lighting fires on the back. And this was oh. most likely when he was still alive. Hmm. Garner's body was discovered with knives, scissors, and a carving fork sticking out of it. The Briley gang lit a fire on his back with the yellow pages. Uh, for some reason, I don't, I know this is in Virginia, but like... For some reason, I'm thinking of my dad's childhood home. Like they had a like a. And where was that? It was in Dorchester on Savin Hill. Actually, it was on Sawyer Avenue was the correct street address. But Savin Hill was close by. Ah. But they lived in a um, kind. They they had a three story home that my grandparents were the tenants of. I mean, uh, the landlords of. And they, but my my dad and his, you know my dad lived on. And the family lived on the second floor. And I don't know why I'm automatically thinking of that, but that's what hmm. I'm thinking of. What Nicole just read was from the Richmond Times-Dispatch. So as I said, the body, it took two days before they found the body. Four guys, they spent a lot of time in the home. We do know that. And this 59-year-old was tortured. They had beat him almost unconscious with the bat almost to death with this bat, and then they lit the pages, the, uh, the yellow pages on his back is like a cruel joke. This is in the middle of the night. Tell me what you're looking at now. Steep staircase. A, yeah, a hallway with, with a stairwell. With blood on the walls. What does that blood look like? It looks like maybe the tip of a baseball bat. Yeah, there you go. That's the tip of a baseball bat. So they're going upstairs. To rob the place, perhaps? What do you guys think? Or, yeah, something. Something's happening. All right, so four guys, they beat this guy to death, and he's still not dead yet. They stick the knives in his back, mm. pair of scissors, the fork. And then about 10 o'clock p.m., everything's real quiet. Real quiet, very eerie. It's completely quiet. And then they, they hear a noise. Is it police sirens? No, it's not police sirens. But they hear something very faint. And it says, quote, Charles, is that you, dear? Oh, no, it's a wife. <gasps> Charles? So what you're seeing now is the photo of a bat being Drug on the wall upstairs. Now the bat was bloody. The tip was bloody. And they probably weren't going to go upstairs, but they heard the whispering. Holy shit. The very soft voice, very soft voice of an elderly lady. Mm. Now she's saying, Charles, is that Is it you? She had just woken up. Doesn't know what's going on. As we're about to discuss, 79-year-old Blanche Page. Blanche. She lived upstairs. She is blind. Oh. She is elderly. She is the landlady. She's the landlady that is renting the downstairs to Charles. And usually the night's pretty quiet, and she was already sleeping. In fact, before that, about an hour before, both of them were carving pumpkins on the front porch. Mm. Blanche was deciding whether or not she should cook for Thanksgiving. That was was her big to-do, like tonight. They're carving pumpkins. 
There was a wine glass found, so Blanche was drinking some wine. 80-year-old, she's, in her mind, her biggest concern right now is, should I cook this year? Is Charles, is your family going to come down? Charles had family in Northern Virginia, and he was hoping this year they would come down and Blanche could cook for all of them. I finally figured out what was wrong with my Thanksgiving dinner. What? It was, they were hickory wood chips, not just charcoal. There were, it was so, that's why it was so smoky and gross. Sorry. I just wanted to share that. You know, our like very impromptu, I feel like came out so good. Our impromptu turkey Mm -hmm. came out really good. Well, you know what? Next Thanksgiving, depending on what your mom and whatever, I'm sure my family. She's not going to be here. She's going to be on a Viking cruise. Oh, okay. well, you guys are invited to my town, even though I know John hates my town, but please come no, to my I, home. No, I go there to get my meth refilled. Please come to my home for Thanksgiving. I will be hosting. All right. So, Charles, is that you, dear? You saw the photo. This is the creepiest photo I think I've ever seen. Right here. This, I'll put this, this on specific photo or in the next one you're about to show us. And I'll put this on talkmore.com. It is of the men going upstairs and slowly dragging the bat against the wall because that is the very tip of the bat with the blood on it. Going up to that little sound, that soft sound of 79-year-old Blanche Page who lived upstairs. She went to bed same time as usual, but she woke up because she heard the ruckus downstairs and... She thought maybe Charles, you know, was sleepwalking or whatever she thought. We'll never know. She yelled out his name a few times before sticking her head out the door into the cold, dark wind. She looked left and right, but did not see him. She did, however, see a long black Lincoln parked on the side of her mailbox. As she wandered about the car, she heard a familiar creak in the loose floorboard behind her. As she turned around, James Briley was holding a wooden bat over his head and brought it down on Blanche's head like a hammer, striking a nail. Oh, no. Her world went instantly black. Oh, my goodness. Now, unfortunately, she didn't die right then. Oh, no. And Charles, the whole time, wanted her to stay asleep. So, as the person that told about these murders... He was reluctant to scream out. And in fact, they did find some of the blood leading to the door. He was trying to squirm towards the the front door. And the detectives actually think it's because he didn't want them to know that upstairs his 80-year-old landlady was asleep. Hmm. He, I, I don't know, I guess he was screaming we do know that it was most likely the scissors, and there's several reports whether they were regular scissors or fabric scissors, but those are the, whatever it was, that was probably the thing that caused Charles to bite off his own tongue. Bite and off his own tongue? He bought, He bit off his own tongue. And maybe it's because he didn't want to alert the Blanche upstairs. I don't know. Man, like when you said that, I kind of bit my own tongue, but like in the stressful kind of way. Also, the photo that you showed us that you said was one of the scariest photos, like the most ear, one of the eeriest photos that kind of remind me of, I know I said this five minutes ago, but my grandmother's house, my Nana, and... I always have nightmares about like going down into the basement, even though I never went into the basement, but like just going up the stairs, I can like remember the exact layout of the apartment, the second floor that my dad lived on. And like, it's just weird. Like when we talk about multifamily homes, especially in this specific case, like it just kind of reminds me of my Nana's house. It's just kind of like weird. Creepy. creepy. Yeah. Creepy. My sister accidentally dialed nine one one. When we were at my Nana's house one time, which is the story I wanted to tell earlier, but didn't. But anyway, I got in <sighs> trouble for it. Of course, it wasn't me. It was my sister, but Can you it this? wasn't you. 
After about a minute or so, a convulsing, critically wounded Charles head rolled around, losing consciousness. Linwood stood on the on the Charles's back and pushed the thick of the blades of the fabric scissors through the neck where the base meets the back. Oh, no, Linwood, I don't like that. Linwood noticed that Charles still wasn't dead, choking on blood as it poured from every part of his face, his eyes and ears mostly. Oh. Linwood then picked up his barbecue fork and stuck it deep in his back until he felt a crack. Charles's body had stopped moving until his last bit of life gave way. Mm-mm. All right, let's go upstairs. What did they do to Blanche? Blanche, oh, I don't want to know. Poor Blanche. Bl- Blanche. Blanche didn't get it very easy either. She still laid in the bed. I'm about to show you the photo of her bed, which was will make you have nightmares. But I'm going to read this quote from the detective Jim Gaudet. Quote: They didn't just hit her; they kept beating on her. I don't care how long you've been a policeman, that's hard to see and take. Because what somebody can do to a human body is just unbelievable. This was not murder, this was overkill. And you can definitely agree with that based on what you see here. This is Blanche's bed. Look at that. Completely blood-soaked. Poor Blanche. Now, this is four guys doing this. No one four deserves guys. that. No one deserves that, especially an elderly lady. Like, that's one of the populations you want to, like, protect. I mean, you want to protect all of humanity. But, like, who who commits crimes against elderly ladies? That's terrible. Blanche Page's nephew, Phyllis Rother, said, quote, You love nephew your, named Phyllis? You love your family. And you can't believe that someone could do something like that. It takes all kinds, in quote. And then the detective said about this specific one, there are homicides and there are homicides. What a brutal bunch of sons of bitches they were. And as you see there, completely destroyed Blanche. And this is the other photo. It doesn't show the blood, but that is... Kind of the crime scene there. Kind of, they just kind of ransacked everything. Uh, how old is Blanche? Can you remind me? 79. Mm, who, who would do that? Like, who would want to harm an elderly lady? They're like so special and wise and beautiful people. <sighs> Unless well, they're grumpy. Well, probably the same people that one month before on September 30th, 1979, decided to tailgate and follow a 62-year-old semi-retired nurse. Mary Wilfong. We don't have a picture of her, but she was 62, a nurse, private nurse now, but she is semi-retired. This is a Saturday night. She has got one thing on her mind. Oh. And this is 11.15 p.m. It is pouring outside, raining profusely in Virginia, All she wants to do is go home, plug in her new Elton John album, which they found playing, get into the bed. We'll actually take a bath because she took a bath before, then get in the bed and then fall asleep and have her Sunday off. Can I make a a comment? At 1115, she was actually just left her work. She stopped at the store to get milk. Randomly, a group of four men started tailgating her, and a thought passed in her mind as she was driving home, as she passed by the police station. Should I go? Should I stop in the police station? Because these guys are tailgating me. No, I'm just too tired. It is 11.15, and my apartment is pretty populated. There's a lot of people that live in this area, so I don't think... No one would do anything at an apartment complex, right? If you want to read this, this is from the Daily Press, October 2nd, 1979. Before we read that, I do want to let you know that William Defoe is hosting Saturday Night Live tonight. <gasps> Love William Defoe. I know. That's why I wanted to tell you. A 62-year-old nurse was bludgeoned to death outside her 
Heronico County apartment near Richmond late Sunday night. Police said Monday, Barry S. Winfog was pronounced dead upon arrival to St. Mary's Hospital. A spokesman for the state medicine. Oh my God, are you drunk? Let me just read it. Oh yeah. Mary S. Wilfong was pronounced dead on arrival at St. Mary's Hospital. A spokesman for the state medical examiner said she died of a head wound inflicted with with a blunt instrument. Police say that she was returning home on a private duty nurse case around 11.15 outside of her apartment on Willow Long Shopping Center. They said that the woman's purse was missing and they believe that this was a robbery. This is this paper right here is from the Daily Press, 2nd of October, 1979. 62-year-old nurse, Mary Wolfong, private nurse, wanted to get home, take a bath, go to sleep. Tailgating right up on her car. I think she was driving like a Honda Prelude. They were right on her bumper. She pulls into her apartment Near the Willow Lone Shopping Center, four men jumped out of the car. Well, actually, three men jumped out. The driver blocked her in, her car in, and then all four men surrounded her car with baseball bats and metal pipes, and they also had war paint on. Ooh. They had war paint. So I don't like, like that. That's so brutal. It's like if you think of like a Native American war paint or maybe like a football player that has the black things under their eyes. They were wearing war paint, red war paint, and they had baseball bats. She locks the door of her car just in time, just like you see in the movies. Luckily for her, luckily, 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 she finds a screwdriver in the glove compartments, in the glove compartment of her car. Now she can actually defend herself. The men, like I said, were wielding baseball bats and pipes, and they started beating on the hood, smashing the fenders of her car. Now, this is in her apartment complex. The largest of the group came rushing toward the driver's side window and with a thundering punch sent his arm straight through the small window, shattering it into pieces. So with his hand, not with a pipe, not with a bat, with his fist, he punches the window. And that is not easy to do, to punch a window, even from an old car like that. You got to have some straight fucking anger behind you to to punch it through a window like that. Shatters the window in pieces. James reached in and pulled the screaming woman out through the broken window. Shards of glass had cut deep into her hands and face. Mm. Now she's outside of her apartment. What could they possibly do? There's other people there, right? So Lauren on live chat says, ask if this was racially motivated. That's actually a really good question. It's not, but, but let me ask you this. You, the last case, the last Charles Garner we talked about, and this one right here, they're going to rob the victims, but I'm telling you, that's not the MO. What do you think? What do you think the motivation is behind this? Obviously there's four men. It's not racial. I would say, I mean, I don't think it is. I don't think it's racially motivated. Nothing has pointed out to be racially motivated. Yes, they are are killing. These are African-American males. I will tell you that. Four of them. And they are killing uh, white females and, and males. But I didn't see anything in the arrest reports where they, where they said anything about racism. So where did, she, where did Virginia lie in the <laughs> Civil War slash war between the states as the South? Become, so I v- thought so, but I wasn't a hundred percent confident. Pretty sure. Okay, so at this point, the the private nurse is outside of the car. She definitely didn't think that this was going to be more than it was. She thought that these were just a bunch of assholes following her. The largest of the group takes the bat, swings it back so hard that he actually split her skull open in two pieces. Oh, man. Symmetrically split her skull open. Hit her so hard that first one that 
her skull completely split open. Now she's not dead now, but she is there, right? She's her body is twitching and stuff like that. It's pretty much there. The gang had planned on raping this woman right outside of her apartment door, but oh. they were afraid. Now this is from the testimony of the guy that turned over. They were more afraid of getting her blood and brain matter on their clothes. They rob her corpse. They quickly go into her home, grab some jewelry, and they leave. Mm. I'm going to go ahead and read this. This is from the book. I'll preface the book here in the next slide, but, quote, Sadly, fate dealt a brutal hand, but Mary somehow managed to crawl up two flights of stairs. Nancy, Nancy Gowen, Mary's daughter, recalled... Quote, my 14-year-old daughter is hearing this noise and opens the door on the chain and finds her grandmother who says three words, I've... I've been raped. I've... Uh, wait, yeah, I've been raped. I can't read this. She went into a she, coma. She, yeah, I've been raped. She went into a coma, remained in a coma for 90 days, died on July 2nd, buried her on the 4th of July. So Mary S. Wilford was left there to die mm. on the doorsteps. She was in a coma. She died shortly after. That's terrible. So the books we're reading tonight are The Briley Brothers, A True Story of the Slaying Brothers by Dwayne Walker and Jack Rosewood, and also The Briley Brothers Tell by Eric Blanding. That's what that's what I'm going to be reading tonight. The Briley Brothers are brothers for the most part. As I said, there are four men three of which are physically, biologically brothers. There is Linwood, the eldest, James, the middle brother, and then Anthony, the youngest brother. They're all biological, grew up in the same home, brothers. And they all have a lust for killing. They they love killing. That is what they do. This is not... The M.O., yeah, they do rob and they do these little petty crimes to get money. And they the police come out and say, OK, they this was a robbery because they took money. But I'm telling you, everyone agrees that they're doing this because they have a lust to kill. And you said there were four men, though, correct? Is there one that is like a. Yeah. And one of the other man. Duncan Meekins, he's the one that turned over. He's not related, but he was the neighbor of the Briley brothers when they were growing up. So he fell into the gang quite early. A little bit about Duncan, very smart kid, extremely intelligent growing up, could have been a rocket scientist or whatever he wanted, but he lived next door to the Briley's and he saw the oldest brother, Linwood, driving a nice car, making money, having girlfriends, stuff like this. And he wanted to be part of that crime life. And he was brought into the gang and initiated by making them kill and stuff like that. And then even at a young age, 16 and younger, he just adapted this gang lifestyle. So there's three brothers here, Linwood, oldest, James, the middle, he's he's the most violent, as you'll see, and then the youngest, Anthony, two of which, Linwood and James, were put on death row. They actually escaped death row, escaped the prison, which I'm not going to get into that story. And then the only one who is still alive today is Duncan Meekins. He is sitting in uh, prison and his appeal has been denied the latest it's been denied i think was 2006 to 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 get out on parole all right so let me talk about the home that they grew up in so these these are three brothers they grew up on 3117 4th avenue in richmond virginia on the north side i'm going to let's go to the google earth all right here we go right here so tell me how much you think this home is worth and if you're on live chat, I'm doing the Google Earth. This is 3117 North Avenue. We're going to the place where the three brothers grew up. This will be the, the background. Because the question we're trying to ask here is why? You know, why would they why would they do this? I mean, this is a a, t- a terrible this is the house right here. Terrible 
terrible murders and all three brothers are involved in this and it's just despicable but this is the house right here how much do you think this home is worth looking at the neighborhood mm, and this is virginia this is richmond virginia yeah that's a terrible One, looking home. i'm gonna say 170 170 that house as of 2014 i don't know about now it may have been sold but was on the market for twenty nine thousand dollars the house was worth appraised at eighty plus thousand dollars, but the developer that bought the house, and I'm pulling this from WTVR.com news station. The uh, title is "Developer Wants to Get Out from Under Richmond House Haunted by Killers Who Grew Up There." So all three brothers grew up in this stucco two-story house, three one one seven Fourth Avenue. And the developer bought it, and then he couldn't get rid of it because no one wanted it. So, All right, so outside of that house that you're talking about, that house that you just saw, 3117 4th Avenue, Richmond's north side. We're actually going to 1971. This is when the, the boys, the three brothers, were young teenagers. In fact, Linwood was 16, which made James 14, and then Anthony, he was the youngest uh, he wasn't even a teenager at the time. So this is them in the house. This is the first murder we're going to talk about inside of the house. 16 years old. Linwood was by himself. He's the older brother. You saw the house right there. I'll put a photo on talkmore.com. The house that is next door. Next door was the house of an elderly neighbor named Orlean Christian. At this point is 1971. 16-year-old Linwood takes a 22 caliber rifle. He wants to shoot some birds because, as we'll kind of get to, all three brothers had a propensity of beating, ravaging to death animals, pets, whatever they can find, little critters, dogs, cats, who, whatever. They would just beat, beat them to a pulp. So Linwood at 16 gets a 22 rifle. He points it out the window. He's going to shoot some pigeons that are perched on his neighbor's roof. The neighbor and elderly lady, Orlean Christian, had just opened the door. She brings out her laundry. The sheets, they're just washed. They're all wet. She needs to hang them up on the clothesline. However, when she walks out with her basket, she scares the birds away. This pissed off Linwood because he's trying to shoot the birds. So what does he do? What do you think he does? He shoots everything he sees if he's trying to shoot the birds. When police question Linwood about, hey, did you shoot your your elderly neighbor with mm. a twenty two rifle? He says, quote, I heard she had heart problems. She would have died soon anyway, end quote. That's terrible. Linwood at 16-year-old. Linwood, at 16 years old, the oldest brother, the the Briley brothers, was pissed off because the elderly neighbor scared away the pigeons that he was trying to shoot. So he... He was mad up, because the other pigeons got scared off? He pick, he picks up the twenty two rifle, and instead of the birds, he points it right at the neck and the head, actually, of his elderly neighbor, Orlean Christian, and he pulls the trigger. What? In the middle of the day, she's out hanging out her clothing, her bed sheets. She's out hanging her bed sheets. She falls down. Everyone, including her family, think she died of a heart attack. It was a 22, a very small caliber bullet, goes straight into the back of the neck, has a very tiny entrance wound, and kills her dead immediately. Uh. Hmm. Now, it's interesting to know about this case. They actually didn't know or they didn't realize that Orlean, the, the elderly neighbor, was shot until they were putting her into the ground. Hmm. At the funeral of the elderly neighbor, the granddaughter lean down for one last kiss to kiss her grandmother goodbye for the last time and actually 
just so happened to kiss a small hole on the back of her neck. Mm. She knew that this wasn't, that she knew that this was an anomaly. This was abnormal. So she tells the detective, they exhume the body. They do an autopsy. They discover that she was shot through and through at the back of the neck with the 22 rifle. That is a homicide. She didn't die of a heart attack. I mean, they, they had the funeral for her and everything as a freaking heart attack victim, right? Mm-hmm. This is from uh, one of the books that we're reading tonight. The older Linwood described in detail to his brothers how he killed the old woman and watched her body fall, taking her last and final breaths. He revealed on how alive he felt, the power that surged through him as he saw her body hit the ground. He wanted his brothers to feel that power and life. End quote. The very tragic there, man. Very tragic. What do you guys think of that? Sad. Very sad. That was the first time that he realizes that he loves, loves killing. Mm. And let me see. I'm going to read this. As he pulled the trigger, the gunshot echoed through the empty home. And the bullet flew from the open window and was sent directly through Orlean Christian's neck. Mm -hmm. She quickly reached behind her head as if a mosquito had bitten her. Before she could touch the wound, however, she fell with a thud and a small cloud of dust plumed from beneath her. Mm -hmm. The young Linwood watched as the woman took her last breaths, slowly losing her grip on life. That quote is from the Briley Brothers Tale book by Eric Blanding. That's 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 really sad. That's that's terrible. So I mean, you have these boys, and we went through the first murder. There's three boys growing up in the same home. You saw the home. It's got to be a terrible childhood, right? You would think. I mean, the parents are alcoholics, drug addicts, right? You would think that. Well, they, I mean, like you, one would think, but maybe one can maybe they came together as one to try to unite and, and pick each other up. I don't know. It, it's, I mean, it, it's like nature versus nurture. This case will always be discussed as, as detectives and Quantico agents or whoever try to figure out what makes a killer kill because it definitely was not the family environment. Mm, okay. They could not have had sweeter parents that had tried their damnedest to give their sons everything that they needed to thrive. They lived in a home where they were middle class growing up in the seventies. They weren't given everything, but they weren't beaten. They weren't molested. They they weren't they they weren't even spanked, as I could see, for doing bad things as small children. But they terrorized their parents. James Briley Sr. was so terrified of his three sons that he would padlock himself in his bedroom every night. And he was a large man, big man. Wait, he would padlock himself in his bedroom every night in fear of his children? Yeah. He worked in a concrete block factory. He was a big man, like I said. His wife and their mother, Bertha, worked at a university, Virginia Union University. She worked at a restaurant there. They had different shifts. So she would work at night. The father would work during the day. And so the whole time there would only be one parent home, but that parent would be sleeping. See, but I mean, I kind of have a problem with that. Honestly, you have like, a problem with that. I do. Like you're afraid of your children. How old, like growing up, you always had them at nighttime and the mother had them during the daytime. Is that correct? Wouldn't you like, how was he afraid of his children? If he started, if he was, if they both parented their children growing up. And I understand that, you know, working parents have long shifts, but like how, like what, what made him afraid? Cause of his their children, children is fucking psychopaths. But they're you all fucking can, psychopaths. But there's a difference between like, like were they being seen for, for um for for 
mental health like mental health this is 1971 and they're black there is no mental health there but but you can't like how are but these are the last people that would get mental health exactly so i feel like like there is a lot of there like i just don't understand how you can be how you can be afraid of of your children, though, I and mean, does that mean you're not parenting your children? No, because like, they're what fucking is, psychopaths. They, everyone like, knows that they beat the shit out of random animals and 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 have complete lack of empathy and disrespect for their parents. I'd be scared of them too. They're both. They're all three big guys, and they could overpower their own parents. They were scared of shit of them. Okay. Okay. The mother, Bertha, actually leaves eventually. The mayor of Richmond, Virginia, the mayor, Dwight Jones, said about the mother, quote, Miss Briley is one of the sweetest ladies you'd ever want to meet, end quote. She She left the family, left her own husband because the sons, the three sons were too much to handle. They were just, they were getting into drugs. They were beating other students at their school getting dropped out. They were, they were destroying animals like pets. They would go and just completely ravage small animals. I mean, just and all three of them, they were raised in a two parent home, very conventional, especially for the time. Now, I mean, they they were bullies. Their pets included in the house boa constrictors, tarantulas, and piranhas. They had fucking piranhas. How do you even buy a fucking piranha? But but like, where do you even fucking get a piranha? You get it in an exotic pet store. But if the father was and the parents were afraid of their children because they owned these these pets, like you buy these pets, right? No, they buy them with their drug money. They're selling drugs and doing all kinds so of the shit. The children are buying. Jen, talk into the mic. The children are buying these exotic animals when they're children or like when they're teenagers. Yeah, well, or... when they're teenagers. They started acting out when they're like 12, 13 years in old. In the 70s. If you think you can rein these kids in, Jen. I'm not I saying know. I can rein these kids in. I am not taking responsibility over anyone's child. Two years later, James, the middle brother, you know, what do you think happened to Linwood after he shot the elderly lady, 16 years old? He was sent to one year of reformation school. That was it. One year, he admitted it. The detective came over and said, listen, I know we mapped out the trajectory of the bullet. We know that's a twenty-two. We know that it's your rifle that did it. He said, yeah, I did it. I don't care. She's going to die anyway. He admitted it. He admitted it. Had no empathy. Complete psychopath. They sent him to one year of reformation school. That That's probably it? one year of reformation school. That probably put in his mind that he is untouchable. When he's in reformation school in 1973, the middle brother James has to step up and prove himself to his older brother, who has already killed someone, already got a teardrop under his eye. He shoots at a cop, actually grazes the cop in the shoulder after he robbed a convenience store. The the cop, undercover cop that was just in the area, gives chase. The middle brother, James, hides behind this little doorway area in this alleyway. The cop runs past. James takes a point-blank range shot at this cop, hits him in the shoulder. Luckily, well, shit, if, if if I was a cop... I would have fucking blown that dude's head all over the fucking wall. And he probably wishes he would have fucking did that at this point after he sees what this kid became. But the the cop subdued him and arrested him. So that was his first fucking hoorah at 16 years old. So both both of the kids already attempted murder and one full blown murder. Can you, um, I am so sorry, and if I'm out of bounds, then, like, tell me, but what, like, what were the parents' profession again? The the dad worked concrete, and the mother worked at a, a diner in the university. So, and there was a, there was a third son? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you about to tell us about the third son before I comment? Well, Anthony was just the one that was the last straw for them. That was the one that they could rein in. He started off great. He was he was the young the young baby. He was doing good, doing good in school. And the parents tried tried so hard, but he started following his brothers. And after that, that's when the mother left. They were like, fuck it. The parents were good people from what everyone says. And it got to the point where the police would come to the house. The father would just go in the room. He just was so embarrassed. And the mother had already left. The mother left because of the kids. The kids were too bad. We're going to March 12th, 1979. I'm going to tell you about a survivor, two survivors here. But can I comment before you go there? Mm -hmm. I know that we're talking about, I mean, these three are siblings and they all have a rap sheet. We're talking about nature versus nurture. Um, They all have the same, you know, genetics. They're all related to each other. And you're talking about both parents are, are, of the, you know, it seems like middle class, they all, they both work, but it also comes down to, you know, I, I, I feel like parenting your child, how are you going to be afraid of your children? Can you discipline them when they're, I know they're psychopaths, man. They were born that way in the seventies though. Like you're starting to get into, and I know it's not the same as it is today, but like, can you get any help for them? Is there anything that you can do for that? For, for there, there, there is a black family in the seventies in Virginia. They ain't shit. Okay? okay, everyone's struggling, and you have three kids that turn out to be complete fucking psychopaths. What I mean, even if you send them to mental health, they're just gonna not show up or just cause fucking hell chaos. They're just they're just fucking horrible people. I don't know what, I think it was just Darwin, his evolution. Sometimes that shit just messes up and you get a fucking bad seed. So you're saying nature versus nurture. All right, let me talk, let me go on. That wasn't supposed to be criticizing. That was an an actual question. Let's go on to another incident. Now, this brutal span of murders happens within seven months. This is a very quick seven-month killing spree. And it's, the reason I want to do this case is because it's all three brothers and plus one other accomplice, Duncan. And the only case that kind of reminds me of is these two brothers that we had covered that the I can't... The Cook brothers? Yeah, the Cook brothers. And one of them is actually out on, you know, out free... But they they terrorize just like this. It's just kind of weird to see brothers that will go and they'll they'll together rape women and and murder and stuff. It's just kind of weird to see brothers do that. All right, March twelfth, nineteen seventy one. We're going to Henrico, which is where we just were. But this is a little ranch area off Horsepen Road. This event right here is what started this seven month killing rampage this is at a lafayette avenue home it's a monday night it's the evening time guess what's on tv little house on the prairie is the new episode is coming out that was the big thing in 1979 this couple a william and his wife virginia boucher older couple as always were about to head to bed they were going to watch Little House on the Prairie, as they always do. I saw in one report that Virginia had just put an apple pie in the in the oven, and their tradition was to put a scoop of ice cream on there, watch their show, and then go to bed. Now, their home isn't in close proximity to any other neighbors. They're kind of spread out. This is a little ranch. A man... Walks up to the door. It's Linwood, the oldest brother. He knocks on the door. William Boucher opens the door a little bit. He's got the chain on the door. He at first thinks it's a paper boy and he needs to to uh, pay for the week of getting papers. But however, Linwood said that he needs the phone. His car is broken down. He needs to call AAA. 
and that he said he was a neighbor. Well, actually, that his uncle was a neighbor a few miles away, and he was on the way to his house. This man, William Boucher, was questioning him, not believing his story or anything else, because there's no neighbor that is that close that he knows of, at least anyway. And he just did not believe this kid. As soon as William asked Linwood for his club card, his AAA club card, is when Linwood, which was described as a linebacker type, very athletic, barged in, throws the old man to the floor with so much force, the door pushes him and throws him on the floor. He pulls out a knife, puts a knife to his throat and, and a gun to the side of his head. Tells the, the wife who was there in her bathrobe watching Little House on the Prairie to just be quiet. He then signals the other three accomplices to rush in and help with the hostages. All in all, they stole. Now, they, they do beat. Now, this is the beginning. So it's not going to be as bad as one of the, the one we talked about before, which was one of the climaxes of the seven month Rain. So the beginning of this gang doing this, they're still getting to know each other's strengths and weaknesses, even though they're brothers, right? Right. So they do beat the the couple, but not as bad as the one we talked about earlier. They do end up stealing jewelry, a CB radio, a 32 caliber handgun, a police scanner, and some other things. Now they ended up tying up both William and Virginia Boucher, and this is where it gets really bad. They tie him up to the back of these little chairs, these table chairs, dining room tables with wooden legs, tie him up with nylon rope. They go find lighter fluid and gasoline that was in the, the shed, and they start, just like in the movies, putting it all over not only the floor, but splashing it right on the face and the clothes of this elderly couple. Now, I'm going to read this. This is from uh, the Burley Brothers book, the Burley Brothers tell about what happens. Quote, Virginia's nightgown began to take on the blue flame and melt against her skin. She screamed and shook as the flames began to crawl up her arm. William couldn't bear to see his wife in such pain, and he began to rock his chair back and forth. So at na- now, the bathrobe that Virginia was wearing starts melting to her skin. It's getting hot. The flames are coming up. Linwood, actually, I saw in one report, he douses everything in gasoline, lighter fluid, and then stands at the front door, takes a match, lights a cigarette, and then throws the match at the couple, just like you would see in a fucking mobster movie, right? Mm, Yeah. So at this point, the flames in this wooden cabin are firing up. The nightgown is starting to stick to his wife's skin. She starts screaming in agony. He starts rocking his chair back and forth, just like you see in the movies, because they, they, you know, police saw all this stuff. Right. Eventually, the chair leg broke, snapped off, old wooden chair, and boom, like a thud, he hits the floor. His wife is screaming in agony. She's being burned alive. Quote, watching his wife burn alive, he used all the strength he could snatching his wrists from the restraints, leaving pieces of melting flesh ripping from his hands. And by a stroke of whatever deity you believe in, it continues, quote, he winced but ignored the pain and quickly grabbed the ropes. He, he struggled after he hit the floor. The nylon ropes somehow... Someone was watching over him. They came open a little bit. He could get one hand out from behind his back. One hand is all you need. The wife is screaming. His skin completely melted off the ropes. 
He says he winced but ignored the pain, quickly grabbing the ropes, binding his hands, getting free, and then grabbing his wife in her chair, just picking her up in the chair, throwing her like a Hulk, throwing her over his shoulder. He runs towards the door and they both make it out alive. Fucking crazy. Yeah, it's that's nuts. Luckily, the, the guys were already gone and they made it out. But anyway, I think we're going to stop there for tonight. Okay. I think we're going to stop there. Everyone's fucking drunk. I'm like reading this on my the, the quotes and stuff. Thank you so much for being here. And I hope you guys love it and continue to support us. And that's that's all I got for tonight. We'll finish this up uh, another day. But until next time, good night, you lovely, lovely people. There's not really a part two planned. We got way too drunk. To be totally honest, I don't really remember recording this episode. If someone wants me to go into the case more in the future for a part two, just let me know on the blog. Good night, you lovely, lovely people. <laughs>